Is it ever okay to cry at work? I get asked this question a lot, uh, usually one-on-one, <laughs> not usually in a crowd, but it comes up a lot. Well, here's what I think. I think it's the wrong question to ask. I think a better question to ask is, what are the consequences of crying at work? And am I comfortable with them? If I'm not comfortable with those consequences, are there other tools that I have at my fingertips to cope with big emotions at big moments? To me, that framework allows us to have a more honest conversation because one of the, I would say, unfortunate maybe consequences, unintended consequences of women becoming more of a force in the workforce is that I'm starting to see a lot of talk claiming that crying at work is is fine because it's part of female style leadership. I got to tell you, I don't agree with that. And I know I'm I'm going up against my beloved Gloria Steinem and lots of women I respect who think it's perfectly okay to cry at work and they think that we only think it's bad to cry at work because of patriarchy. I disagree. And here's why. If you cry in front of other people during a meeting, or let's say it's a one-on-one meeting with your boss, watch how their perception of you shifts. I'm sorry if I use the pronoun you. It's going to be the easiest way to get through this, but I don't want you to think I'm like wagging my finger in your face. Pretend I'm looking at a mirror and I'm telling myself this. But look how people's perception of you shifts when you cry in public. Number one, They probably feel terrible for you if you cry in front of a large group or any group, and they're wishing there was something they could do to end your discomfort. Truly, that is like the number one perception shift that I've observed. Two, by crying at work in public, you're reinforcing some really ancient and unfortunate stereotypes about women in the workplace that we can't handle the heat of the battle. And that's real. Those are ancient beliefs that have been handed down thanks to patriarchy that women are just too fragile for the battle zone of work. The other perception that you're creating is that you're now going to be perceived as fragile, right? The people around the room or the people, the person sitting across some table from you, they're thinking, okay, note to self, this one can't handle conflict. Or this one can't handle feedback. People who are perceived as fragile aren't the ones who get tapped for the big budget projects or the high profile gigs, right? Fragile is not a trait you want to carry with you. It just isn't, right? Lastly, if we get to that point where our emotions become so big, they become tears in front of people. The people around the room with you know that in that moment, you are not capable of solving problems. You are in your feelings, Drake, right? And let's be very clear. The only reason we are in a job is to solve problems. And if somebody sees you crying, they know that you're unable to complete that job or solve any problems because you are so in your Drake, right? As your communication coach, I'm not comfortable with those consequences and perception shifts. I'm not. I think you can do better. I think we can do better than that. Now, parenthetically speaking here, if the crying you're doing is in the bathroom, 
go ahead and let it rip. Seriously. Crying in private is a great release. In fact, I'm a huge proponent of processing feelings where it's safe to do that. You don't want to bottle up all this junk and pretend like everything's fine, but it's about the appropriateness of where you're processing them. And a bathroom at work is fine. It reminds me of those ghastly scenes in the early episodes of Mad Men where Peggy like goes to the bathroom and every day there's like a different woman crying because the sexism is so horrendous at work that people just lose their shit every day. Anyway, but I do want to say this. Crying in private in the bathroom at work, or even frankly at home, that should be a rare occasion. Truly, if you're crying a lot in the bathroom, it's time to take a giant step back, bust out your journal, and say, what the hell is going on here? What's happening here? Gain some perspective. Look closely at your life. What's going on? Because we, it's not normal to be in a perpetual state of emotions just at the surface. It means something is crying out to be tended to. Maybe you're in a toxic relationship. Maybe you're in the wrong career. You know, these things, the crying in the bathroom consistently or more often than, you know, once or twice a year, even that seems a little bit much to me. Those are signs that you should not ignore. They're signs that your life is speaking to you and calling your attention to make change. And before I go any further here, I want to make something else really clear. To me, yelling at work is every bit as unacceptable and damaging as crying at work. The consequences of yelling and belittling people at work aren't great either. People stop being honest with you because they're scared of you. You literally bring out the worst in people. You bring out people's reptilian brains because they're constantly in flight, fight, or freeze mode. And creativity and problem solving aren't actually even available to someone who's being yelled at because they're in that fight, flight, or freeze. The point is crying and yelling are on the same spectrum as far as I'm concerned. I call it the emotionality spectrum. And they both suck. They both limit your capacity as a leader they limit opportunity and they brand you, Jesus. I mean, you it is hard to shake those reputations once they're really ingrained. But let's stay with crime because it's what I tend to hear the most often these days when I talk to people. So here's a question. Why do we cry? Here's the good news. I think we cry because we care. Truly, someone who cries at work is earnest, right? They want so badly to do right by the company or the project or each other or whatever. The bad news, we cry for deep reasons that are never quick fixes. As much as I would love to say that this episode of 20 Minutes with Brahma is going to just really fix you for the rest of your life, it's not the case. But I have found that there are patterns for why we cry. And reason number one, there's five that I've noticed. Reason number one is we project our history onto our coworkers. We project our backgrounds, people from our past. It's funny, I will see sometimes in meeting team dynamics that are kind of extreme. And I'm like, Jesus, this is pretty personal for a meeting at work. What's going on here? And then I realize upon meeting with everybody individually, 
you know, he's projecting his father issues onto CEO. She's projecting her ex-husband issues onto the finance guy. I mean, we are beings that are an amalgamation of a million different experiences. And the experiences and relationships that leave the biggest marks on us tend to be the ones we drag to work with us without even realizing it, right? So the first reason is we project our history onto our coworkers, which is not appropriate. In fact, I have to tell you this story. Many moons ago when I was in therapy, in the, kind of the early days of my therapy, I, I had this job and there was this guy that I worked for and he just made me so anxious. Oh my God, I was so anxious and everything was so fraught and he would react and I would just completely overreact to course correct to please him. I mean, please, please, please. I was just, I was on edge. Literally imagine a, a cat hanging from the ceiling by its claws. That, that was me at work every day. And my therapist is like, Bronwyn, why are you projecting your stepdad onto this poor man? Like, he doesn't like your PowerPoint. Why do you got to make it about all that backstory? And I just started to laugh because I thought, holy shit, that's exactly what I'm doing. And once I kind of realized that, it clicked with me. I went to work and I looked at him and I just laughed to myself because I'm like, he's right. This, this boss of mine is entitled to hate my PowerPoint and give me feedback without me having a complete existential crisis over it, right? So reason number one, we project our history. Reason number two, we haven't yet learned how to receive tough, pointed feedback. People need to be able to give you feedback, right? We need to be able to receive harsh criticisms. Now, there are certain criticisms that are so harsh, they're abusive, and you deserve better, and we'll get to that in a minute. But you need to be able to take the feedback. And if you're one of those people, and by you, I mean me, I used to have, I, I, I found feedback to be excruciatingly difficult to receive. And here's what I learned. The deal with receiving feedback is managing that that fight, flight, or freeze reaction, right? It's shifting our awareness to perceive feedback not as an attack, but as data. So I memorized this one technique that helps me stay grounded in my skin when somebody's giving me harsh feedback. Step one, thank them. Always, 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 always thank them. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for having the courage to tell me the truth. This isn't easy to hear, but it is so important that I hear it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay? Thank. If the tears are still happening after you thank, usually I find that that shifts something inside of me and I find strength in gratitude for whatever strange reason. And it allows me to put the other person at ease because usually people that are giving tough feedback, they're dreading giving. They're fun. They're, they woke up that morning filled with anxiety about giving you that feedback. So it puts them at ease and that somehow puts me at ease. But if the tears are still kind of at the surface, it is okay to ask for a five minute break just to be like, you know what, this is so important that I hear this. Would you mind if I just took a couple minutes to collect myself? But make it clear that you are coming back in five minutes to finish the conversation. Okay. We don't want a situation where they're like, oh God, she's going to go cry in the bathroom and 20 minutes will go by and she's just as freaking fragile as I thought. No, no, no. 
Come back in five minutes. Come back strong. And that coming back strong, usually I use mantra. You know, I use mantras like I am loved, I'm enough, and I will get better uh, as a result of this. Or as Joel Peterson says, I feedback is the breakfast of champions. I also like saying I eat hard feedback for breakfast. Bring it, bitches. Right? Strength. Find that strength. Reason number three, we haven't yet built coping skills to rebound from failure. Right? You know, one reason is we project our history. Another reason is we just haven't learned how to receive tough feedback. Third reason is we just haven't figured out how to do failure right. Right? If you're not fucking up at least sometimes, you're not trying hard enough. People who are in the game, people who are in the arena giving it all they've got, they screw up. It's part of the deal. We can't demonize our failures. We sometimes blow it spectacularly. We need to get good at apologizing and owning when we screw up. We need to learn to make things right and then treat ourselves with compassion as we get back up on our feet, right? And when I say we need to learn to apologize, well, here's what a real apology is. I recognize that I did X. I see that it impacted you in this way. And I am so sorry. And I want you to know that I'm going to make it right. Is there something I can do to make it right? It won't happen again. That's an apology. Here's what an apology is not. This is not an apology. Well, I'm sorry if you took it that way. I'm sorry if that's how you experienced it. That was not my intent. That I mean, I want to eat the microphone. I'm so angry just thinking about this. That is not a freaking apology. I see celebrities. I see politicians. I see people in the press acting like that's a effing apology. It's not. It's not. And here's what I've observed. People that grow from their mistakes, people that grow from their failures are the ones that know how to own their turds, apologize well, and make it right to the extent possible. Oh, it gets me so fired up. God dang it. <laughs> That's a good thing I'm alone in this office. So apologize well, make things right, treat ourselves with some self-compassion and get up on our feet. Look, we're in the arena. We screw up. We pick ourselves back up. But be careful with the self-compassion game because too much self-compassion and your ass will be on that couch all day watching, you know, bad TV because you're just being really self-compassionate, right? <laughs> it's like that Japanese saying goes, fall down six times, get up seven. That is what we do. And that kind of strength becomes a muscle that gets stronger and stronger as we go. And we get to this point where we don't even remember what it was like to be moved to tears at work by somebody yelling at us or feeling hurt. It'd be different if you're like moved to tears because you're proud or something like that. Once you get into this game and you really start showing up, crying at work becomes such a distant concept. It's truly beautiful. But another reason for crying at work, I've observed, is that we don't have good boundaries. And we don't know when it's okay to say, you know what, enough. You know, when do you say enough and when is it time to just stand there and take the beat down, right? This is a boundaries issue. For me, I will not allow someone to raise their voice at me, period. 
I have a go-to phrase that I use because I get so out of my body when somebody yells at me that I have to have a phrase at the ready to calm me down and keep me grounded and keep me in the game. And that phrase is, I don't allow people to speak to me that way. Let's take a five-minute break and come back. And I say that maintaining very strong eye contact. And that boundary, nine times out of 10, wakes up the person on the other side of the table and they're like, oh, Jesus, I didn't mean to, sorry. Yes, let's take a five-minute break. And it's a really powerful, it, it helps keep me calm and it helps to mirror back to the shouter just how out of control they are, right? It's very, very, very powerful. And it keeps my brain from freezing. It's great. But let's say you're working with somebody who's a blamer, right? You've, you, you're crying at work because you haven't got any good boundaries and you're working with someone who loves to blame. Something goes wrong, the first thing they do is blame. That's just what they do. It's unfortunate and it sucks, but it's how a lot of people function and you're bound to find it. It's everywhere. And if you're dealing with a blamer, and that blamer makes you cry, here's what I would say. Number one, don't take it personally. They're a blamer. It's where they invest their energy when shit goes sideways. Don't take it personally. If they're blaming you, this may be what they do. And so you go, okay, I'm not taking this personally. I am going to accept responsibility for the part of this that is my bad. So I'm going to look that blamer in the eye and say, yes, this part I own. Fair enough. Let's make it right. Most good-hearted blamers will be like, thank you. Okay, now I can move on. Now, there's some sociopaths that are like, oh, well, that doesn't, I, I need you to slice open your arm and give me your blood before I move on. And, the, you know, that's a different conversation, different podcast, which I really should do a podcast on that, which I will. But blamers are usually pretty shocked and usually pretty stoked when people take responsibility for what they for their part in the situation. It relieves some kind of pressure in the blamer's brain and they just calm down. I don't know why. So take responsibility for what your part was. Or, you know, sometimes there are just those people, you guys, that need to kick someone's ass once a meeting. It's just, it's it's like it's who they are. It's what they do. We don't know why this is. Some people can work with those people, some people can't. But maybe you're the ass that gets kicked that day. And maybe you just don't take it personally and go, okay, thank you. May I please have another? I guess it was my ass today. And then you walk out and get on with your life, right? Or maybe you've decided, you know what? No, I have a strong boundary around getting my ass kicked. And I'm only accepting a good ass kicking if it's warranted. And you know what? I'm done with getting my ass kicked for no good reason just because this guy woke up and decided it was me today. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to dust off that resume and I'm going to get a different gig. Okay, great, good, perfect. No crying at work. See what I mean? Also, just P.S., never, like, try and find a new job before you quit that one. <laughs> it's so much easier to hire someone who's currently employed than someone who isn't. Just remember that. Okay, so remember, like, you get to establish your boundaries, you get to establish your boundaries. Now, here's what I want to say about this. And I'm going to get a lot of flack from this. I think I'm going to get some hate mail over saying this. But in the boundary conversation, I have started to see examples of people who are like, well, here's my boundary. I don't, I don't get, like, I, you can't actually give me any hard feedback. I'm hypersensitive. Like I've seen people start to wear that as some kind of feminist cloak. Like, screw you. 
I'm a woman and I'm hypersensitive and you can't say anything to me that's going to hurt my feelings in the form of feedback. Okay, that to me, that is toxic femininity. Okay, that's using fragility as a source of manipulation, right? Using tears as manipulation to avoid hearing the hard truth. These are all, to me, toxic femininity at play, right? We don't want to freaking conflate femininity with fragility, with truth-telling. Like, it's so damaging to those of us trying to make our way in the world to have people representing feminism as like, well, I'm a woman, therefore I get to cry at work, therefore I'm going to shut you down from giving me any, anything difficult because I'm going to unleash my tears on you. That's manipulation and it's bullshit. And I don't think you do that and very few people do, but I'm starting to actually hear examples of this. Um, People coming to me frustrated, like, what do I do with this? And if you are coaching someone or somebody that's working for you is wearing this sort of badge of I'm just hypersensitive and you need to walk around me on eggshells, you know, I would really encourage you to have that person go back to my earlier episodes and listen to the Junk Thought series, specifically around victim thoughts, specifically around us versus them, around superiority, inferiority around taking things personally, because that is not feminism, in my opinion. Okay, just had to get that out of the way. Okay. (laughs) Reason number five, why else do we cry? The other thing is we haven't looked at the patterns of why we tend to cry. We just sort of shit the bed, cry, shame spiral, you know, whatever we do, and then we move back. We just try and come back. Never waste an opportunity to evaluate why you cry. What what was it? Was it that we felt excluded from something, from a meeting, from a project? Was it that we made a mistake and we hate owning the fact that we made a mistake? Is it that we took a risk that ended badly? Did we not get enough buy-in? You know, for me personally, it's been, ye- I mean, so long since I cried at work. Thanks be to God. (laughs) So I was feeling pretty cocky about this for a long time. But then what I noticed, I noticed this a few years ago, when my husband and I would argue, I would cry. Yeah, I would be real fragile when my husband and I would disagree on something that meant something to me. And I noticed that when I cried, it shut my husband down. Like he would immediately withdraw he'd feel terrible and he would just drop the conversation a lot of times just placating me and apologizing for he didn't even know what and I remember sitting there being like this isn't right this isn't fair (laughs) I'm not eating my own dog food here like in the work context I I have no problem with this anymore my muscles are so strong but here at home yikes there's some work to do I'm manipulating this man emotionally and it's not even conscious Yikes. So what I realized is that with in that relationship, for some reason, I couldn't handle his big emotions. So I would react with an even bigger emotion to shut him down. So once I became conscious of that unconscious pattern, I figured out some skills for dealing with it right? Number one is I, when I could see anger or frustration or whatever big emotion he was having, when I would see it brewing, I would breathe deeply into my belly 
even before things got escalated, I would just start breathing, 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 staying in my body, staying in my body, staying calm. And then whatever he said, I would validate something about it. For example, I would say, I can see why you would think that. I can understand why you'd be frustrated by that. And the minute I validated him, he would calm down a little bit and I could see the opening of shared space around whatever that conflict was. And it it created a far more honest relationship between my husband and I. He felt safe to say what he needed to say. He felt safe to express himself the way he needed to express himself. And I felt safe enough to stay in my body and in my strength without using tears <laughs> as the nuclear. You know, tears can be the nuclear option sometimes. And nuclear options can't be our only go-to tool for conflict, right? Okay, so now that we've sort of gone through the reasons for crying at work, what if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my God, I've cried at work. Now what do I do? Oh my God. First, don't worry. All is not lost. Like you're, you're fine. Everything's going to be fine if you have the guts to do the work. Ready? Of course you have the guts. You're listening to this podcast. You wouldn't be listening to this if you didn't have guts, right? So first, manage perceptions. Remember, the consequences of crying at work are damaged. People's perceptions of you become really damaged. So the first thing we want to do is, is, is repair and manage those perceptions. I like to recommend that if possible, go back to the folks who witnessed you in the crying episode and let them know that your big emotions came from a place of just commitment, devotion to the project, to the company. And also let them know that that moment of crying in front of them was kind of a wake-up call for you, that you were holding on too tight and taking things too personally. And let them know that you're working on this and that you're balancing maintaining healthy perspective with delivering excellence every day. Let them know that you are finding that it is possible to do both without sacrificing one or the other. Okay? This little micro conversation with the witnesses of your crying, this causes people around you to be like, damn, she's doing the work. And bonus, you're modeling a self-awareness and growth arc for the people around you. Not a lot of human beings are capable of self-awareness, self-reflection, and digging deep into painful things like this. So when you do it, people freaking notice and they think it's kind of badass. So first is manage perception. Second, collect yourself and come back strong. Come back strong. Okay, so remember in Pretty in Pink when Andy got stood up for prom by Blaine and she like, she was so devastated and she felt so humiliated. But that, you know what she did? She went back. She made her own damn prom dress because she couldn't afford to buy one. And she got her ass out to that prom. And so did Ducky, okay? And based on what I could see from the movie Pretty in Pink, I think Ducky was like living by himself in an apartment. And even he put himself back together and marched his ass back out there to that prom, right? That's you, okay? You need to call up your inner Andy, your inner Ducky, (laughs) and you need to say, I just wanted to show them they didn't break me. That's you. You reclaim your power and you show up strong. Nobody can break you. Only you can do that. And if you really want to dig into this vibe, 
I just read a book called Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins, former Navy SEAL. It is the most insane book of human strength and willpower I think I've ever read in my life. It's almost a little crazy. It's so crazy and out there, but God, if you want to learn how to come back strong, read or listen to Goggins. <laughs> He's just a wild man. Anyway, okay. So first, manage perception. Second, collect yourself, but come back strong as F. Third, prepare for meetings where you are likely to be triggered and have a plan. Is there a mantra you need to have repeating in your brain for when the heat gets turned up? Is there a pattern to what triggers you? Is there a personality type? You know, do you have to reach far back in your history and deal with it? Do you need to go to therapy for a few months and work out whatever, you know, ancient issue is holding you back? There is no shame in getting help. I, I, I don't even know how many different ways I can say that. I still go to my therapist. I see him for tune-ups whenever life gets squirrely. I see him for tune-ups. So I want you to know, like, having a therapist and calling on somebody who has accurate perspective when you've lost perspective, it's game-changing. So get the help you need. Have a plan. Stay present in those meetings. Don't let your past run in. Don't let your inner seven-year-old run that frigging meeting right? I mean, listen, guys, I know this is a lot. <laughs> this is a lot. But here's the thing, the question of crying at work, the question of the emotionality spectrum itself, it's a massive opportunity to grow. It's, it's AFGO, right? Another fucking growth opportunity. But seriously, this is the work. This is the work. And the version of yourself that you'll uncover as you start to add more tools to your, what, tool belt, when it comes to managing big emotions, you, you will freak out at how strong and how powerful and how capable and what a great leader you can become if you work on this specific issue. And I want to hear your stories. I want to know what works. I want to know what doesn't. I want to know. I want to know what you think. All right, you guys. Thank you for listening. And if you cry at work, we've all been there. But pick yourself up. Make like Andy. Show them they didn't beat you. And shine on, you crazy diamond. See you next time. Mm -hmm.